Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter, with our friends, our pastors from around the country. Excited about our guest today. We've got all the way from Georgia. We've got Pastor... Oh, let me see here. My mouse is deciding to like go bad on me for a second here. Sorry. Uh, we've got Pastor George Murda from Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Douglasville, Georgia, joining us to read chapter 12 of Mark. Still reading these gos- uh, this gospel account here, these chapters in the gospel. And we saw last time, uh, you know, we had such confrontation. You had the very ominous cursing of the fig tree and this foreshadowing um, of the destruction of the temple. Well, there's more of that going on here today. Uh, the, the parable of the tenants... Um, I mean, it really is just setting things up for destruction, confrontation, and you just see more of that confrontation today, whether it's with the scribes or with the Sadducees, they get in on the confrontation here. Um, some very memorable uh, chapters in this section here that all lead up to, um, in the following chapter, the actual foretelling of the destruction of the temple. So it's all coming to a head here. So lots of good stuff today. But yes, I'm um, really excited, though. We have our guest all the way from Georgia. George, how are you doing, brother? How are the brothers and sisters over there in Douglasville? Oh, we're doing well. No, everybody seems to be fine. Uh, we have, uh, like a lot of churches, uh, suspended the uh, meeting in the congregation hall uh, of the church uh, in March, middle of March, and uh, we'll come back together on Pentecost. All right. Yeah, no, I think that that's uh, what a lot of churches are doing. I mean, some are, you know, trying to find some, you know, kind of creative ways to still be able to, um, you know, celebrate the sacrament in a certain way in the meantime. But I, I think that it would be great um, for many of us to be able to just, you know, not just, you know, congregation by congregation, but, you know, the larger body of Christ being able to celebrate, especially a day like Pentecost. Exactly, precisely, yeah. And uh, I, I think that really it's— uh, I've been thinking a lot about Pentecost, and it's it's interesting how uh, I feel like really even in Mark, you know, he doesn't narrate the resurrection and the ascension in Pentecost, but I, I feel like the stuff that you see in Mark and the chapters, they are actually pointing that direction. Still, there's it feels like there is like a lot of foreshadowing of the the resurrection mm-hmm. and the ascension and the and the coming of the Spirit, and I think we we even see that here. Mm-hmm. Right, I, I agree with you. Mark is, um, you know, Mark is uh, probably uh, one of my favorite gospels. It's a fairly simple gospel, uh, but he actually gives uh, a lot of detail in some of the areas that really help us understand the public ministry of Jesus and how much that really influenced uh, not only um, you know the people as apostles and disciples, but uh, the crowds who were with him, but also the negative influence that it had on the um, leaders of the people, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes, leaders of the people, um, and how they responded to it is a little bit more, uh, I don't know, um, emotional, I guess you would say, than you might see. It seems a little bit more theological and academic uh, in the other Gospels, where it gets pretty emotional in, uh, in Mark. Yeah, it does. It does. There, There is a lot of I mean, there's, it's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of drama, right? And you see that just with the way that the 
there, there's so much confrontation, right? And it just it just points to the authority, mm -hmm. the authority, the authority of Christ. And uh, when you talk mm -hmm. about authority, I mean, that just that just feels so much like the first few chapters of Acts, where mm -hmm. that's what the apostles are saying, like, this is the one who's been made Lord in Christ. He has the authority. He even has the authority to send the Spirit, and that he's the one uh, who has now poured out the Spirit. So by, by focusing so much, I think, on like the as you were saying, kind of the emotion and the drama around the Lord's yeah. authority, I, I feel like that is like tipping, uh, tipping his his hat at the ascension and, and Pentecost. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, uh, the uh, confrontation about authority is what ended in eleven, and now we're picking up with this vineyard, this vineyard parable uh, in uh, twelve. Right. Well, let, let's go ahead and turn to the text. As we get started, brother, would you say a prayer for us and for everyone following mm -hmm. along and all of our brothers and sisters? Mm -hmm. Okay. Father in heaven, gracious God, we praise your name. We glorify you for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, who you sent into the world to save sinners. We have a standing with you before your holy throne. We're able to worship you in peace, and we're able to also offer worthy praise to you because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. All authority in heaven and earth was given to him. And he has brought together a church so that, that church might also exercise that spiritual authority in this world, no matter what the circumstances are. And we thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity uh, to be witnesses for this same Jesus Christ in his resurrection and ascension. We ask you to bless our time in chapter 12, that your Holy Spirit be with and among us, that we may do everything in accord with your will, and that you get the glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Yeah, so... So uh, such an amazing vision, the Lord's authority, even no matter the circumstances, no matter the wind and the mm -hmm. waves, right? Exactly. All right. Well, let's go ahead. Uh, we've been having a lot of success with this. Let's, I'm going to just go ahead and read the whole chapter straight through, which will, I think, help us to connect some of the dots, just kind of listening. And then uh -huh. we can go back and kind of look at some of these parts in detail, starting with, as you mentioned, the, the first parable of the tenants. Good. All right. So here it is, Mark chapter 12 in the English Standard Version. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit from the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, 
for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they, are neither, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no one besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes like, and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow 
has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contribute out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So, a lot of confrontation. Uh, everyone's wanting to ask the Lord Jesus a question, and um, as usual, they, they always bite off more than, than they can chew. Uh, it's really interesting. From, from start to finish here, there, I think, is this, this moving towards this idea of what was less to something greater, right? With the parable of tenants, there's this, there's this uh, ascension, there's this amplification, right? You go on from servants, 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 and finally there's going to be a son, right? Um, there's this idea of there being uh, something greater in the resurrection than what we have currently now. You're talking about, in, in the question about the greatest commandment, there's this idea that the sacrificial system is actually going to be perhaps superseded by something greater. Um, and then even right. here with the, the stuff with the, the scribes here and the, and the offering, right, there's this idea that, yeah, you know, this whole system that we have of, you know, uh, taxing the poor like this, uh, this, this, is, this cannot stand. So, I mean, I feel like there's all, this whole chapter is moving us towards this idea that, hey, there is a greater son of David coming. There is something greater than the temple coming. Exactly, and it, it's in connection. I mean, this parable is in connection with uh, chapter 11. I mean, some of the context for this is chapter 11. Uh, we need to realize that this is the last week of Jesus' life um, uh, before he is crucified on, on Friday of this week. Uh, he goes back and forth. from. Uh, he leaves the city, comes back. Uh, even with the cleansing of the temple, he goes to the city in the triumphal entry. He goes in, he looks around, goes back. Next morning, he comes and cleanses the temple. Uh, so he's here to kind of clean house. Uh, that's a prophetic act. Uh, they question it, of course, and then you have the question of authority. But in the midst of 11, you have the person of the fig tree, which is obviously a symbol of Israel. And the fact that uh, the Lord of Israel, the, the God of Israel, has sent his son to seek fruits. So the first time we have that or the hint of that is in 11, where there's no fruit on the tree. Right. So the fruit that the father's expecting is not there. And so the tree withers and it withers overnight. And so this one, this parable now, uh, cranks it up just a little. As you said, the tension always rises with Mark. And so it's rising here because now there, now his audience is made up of, if we take where he left off on 11 and come into 12, uh, is made up of scribes and Pharisees and, and, um, uh, maybe Sadducees, well, certainly Sadducees, I question later. Uh, right. And he's in the temple area, so those people are going to be hanging out there. You know, they're the same people that Jesus met when he was 12 years old. Okay, not the same people <laughs> literally, but literally yeah. the same crowd. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And uh, so here he is, and, and he's come back now. So now he's talking to his disciples and apostles. We don't, you know, know how, how much they knew the prophets or how much they knew the Torah, but cl clearly he's talking to the experts in that. And they cannot uh, not have had in mind that he was talking about Isaiah 5, uh, the destruction of the vineyard of the Lord, how yep. the, what the yep. Lord had done to establish the vineyard. And then because of their unfaithfulness, not listening to the prophets uh, and not listening to the Word of God and not uh, uh, conforming, if you will, their lives to the covenants of God and his love, really his love for them. 
that uh, that vineyard would be destroyed. So this is this is the greater, if you will, uh, plenary Old Testament uh, bringing in of the prophets uh, within this parable. Uh, which is capped. It's interesting. I won't say that because you can use the word capstone in verse uh, 10 and 11. He caps ah. it with that verse from the scriptures yep. right. uh, that they have rejected. Uh, they reject us. They rejected the son. They rejected the capstone of their faith, and the cap, which was symbolized in the cornerstone or the capstone of the temple. That's just, he's using that symbolically. You think that this temple is the main thing. And you, yet you've rejected the thing that even causes it to stand. You have rejected right. it. And, uh, and so that's all tied into this, this parable here um, of the tenants uh, and the son. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right that, that all of these different elements, I mean, it's already, it just, it's more and more just suggesting destruction of the temple. Um, I mean, we already mm-hmm. had, I mean, I think he's going to come out and just say it plainly, uh, you know, as he gets uh, more and more uh, direct in the confrontation. But, but yeah, we talked about that last time, how that, that as you said, that, that cursing of the fig tree, it's prophetic. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because destruction, as, as you said, is going to come upon I mean, the whole of Israel, right, in Revelation, mm-hmm. that, that depiction is that the, that stream of blood that comes out mm-hmm. from the wine press outside the city, right, goes up to the farthest border mm-hmm. of Israel. So, I mean, at a certain level, it's all of Israel, but um, yeah, certainly in Isaiah, um, in that description there, back in chapter 5, you mentioned, I mean, that's like mm-hmm. the Assyrians coming, and they, and they destroyed the north, um, but mm-hmm. then, of course, in Isaiah, the destruction becomes complete with the Babylonians, and they destroy the temple in the end, which I think, mm-hmm. as you were pointing us to, when you get that scripture quotation at the end um, from the Psalms, you know, uh, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. I mean, I, I mean that's re- that's referring then not only to to the destruction of the temple, but the rebuilding of the temple, right? Because after after the destruction from the Babylonians and they are able to come back under the Persians, uh, you know, they start to rebuild it. This is what we saw in um, in Zechariah and Haggai. They start to rebuild it, but but then mm-hmm. they stop. They stop, right? They, they they give up. They're they're mm-hmm. too busy with the concerns of this life. They're you know they're just like you know hey we've got people all around us. We're just barely mm-hmm. getting by. Like we, we we can't keep building this temple, and so then when the prophets come and they say hey no no you got to do first things first, right? Uh, I mean and and isn't that interesting that in this very section, mm-hmm. right? Love the Lord your God first of all, right? Greatest commandment. Exactly. Um, and then, and that's when they they take hey the stones that were rejected the stones that were literally cast aside when they gave up on the temple, well now they're putting that back and they actually complete it. So I mean, in some ways I feel like, yeah, destruction of the temple, but already hinting even at the resurrection of the temple. Mm-hmm. And then of course we know we know from John that that that, that cornerstone is Christ uh, for the for the raising of the of the the temple that will <clears throat> on earth that will last the church that will last till the end time, and uh, we know that the, the, that's the stone that, that uh, God has set. Matthew talks about it. Uh, people fall and it will get broken, and those that it falls on will be crushed, Matthew 21, I think. And uh, so uh, this stone is very, very important. And Jesus said, if you destroy it in John, if you destroy this temple in three days, I'll build it again. I mean, his, his life, his, his body. Right. He is now, of course, our chief cornerstone, and that's what they're rejecting. It was rejected, and, and you're right. It was rejected in the past, and it, and it resulted in the destruction of the temple. It is going to be rejected again, which will result in the destruction of the temple. So uh, the connections are here. Jesus is making them. He's the final prophet. 
and he's going to make those connections, and he wants them to wake up. I mean, he loves these people. He loves Jerusalem. He loves the Father's house. This is my Father's house meant to be a house of prayer for all nations? But he recognizes that there's a cost to this rejection, and that cost will be the final destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. So I think that really, I mean, you, you can't, I, I'm really I'm really glad that you're helping us unpack this here, because the parable of tenants, I, I think that the kind of obvious meaning is that, okay, yeah, well, you know, the, the servants represent the string of the prophets, right? And then there's the son, who is uh, not only the ultimate prophet, but, you know, the idea holy of son of God, right? We're talking about the Messiah. Um, so yeah, he's the Messiah who stands at the the end of the line that all the prophets have been pointing to. That's kind of like the the obvious level, but... I think, as you're helping us see, this parable of tenants is not just pointing at that, but pointing to a new temple after this one's going to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And so, to, to say that he is both the new the, the new Messiah and the new temple that that's I, I think what you've got throughout mm-hmm. this chapter. Then, because then when we start talking about other authorities and, and kings, mm-hmm. like 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 Caesar, for example, right? Like, well, we've got mm-hmm. the, the Messiah idea, and, and when he gets talks about the son of David, uh, but yeah, when, we, when we're talking about like, the widow's offering, for example, right, then then we're starting in the sacrificial system. So we're, we're mm-hmm. seeing both that, that temple and the Messiah idea. And so that I think that, yeah, the parable sets us up for both. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. exactly. Well, well uh, so let's go ahead then and uh, consider the, let me see here. Uh, the next portion here, just a little bit. We have a couple of minutes before our break. Um, it's, so it says here, so after this first, you know, test, uh, they're, they're seeking to arrest him, right? But but he's just, the mm-hmm. people, uh, it's interesting. It says there that the people uh, are a reason for fear, right? So, so far in this chapter, and we see this kind of again and again, the people like what he's saying. <laughs> he hasn't, yeah, he hasn't lost yeah. the people yet, even if he's confronting the authorities mm-hmm. and the leaders. Um mm-hmm. And then we get this next section here. Here, here's the trap, right? The Pharisees and the Herodians. We we saw back in chapter three that they they teamed up these kind of unlikely bedfellows, and so they they come to set them up for a trap. This isn't the first time that they tried trapping them. They tried trapping them earlier with the whole question about John the Baptist, right? Trying to see like, um, you know, oh hey, you know, is is it is it okay to divorce? You know, maybe we can get him in the same trouble that John the Baptist got into. Um, and now here's another trap. Uh, trying to get them about taxes. So wh- why is this the trap that they pick now at this point? Um, the, about the taxes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I, uh, I'm always amused by, by, the, by this uh, incident uh, because it's, uh, um, it's, he, says, he says it really in, in 15, knowing their hypocrisy. Yep. Now, what did Jesus just do in 11? He had gone in... To the temple area, which was, uh, if you're in Jerusalem and you visit that, you'll see these long steps to go up to this particular courtyard, which was a courtyard of Gentiles. Gentiles could go there. It's a part of the temple they could go in. And uh, that's where they were buying and selling. But they were also exchanging money. So these guys, the the Sadducees in particular, but they're all all complicit in this. What, What kind of money are they exchanging? They're exchanging denarii for shekels. You can't do anything in a temple. You can't use denarii in the temple. That's that's Roman money. It's defiled. It has the image of the emperor who claims to be a god. You can't use it in the temple. Therefore, you've got to trade it for shekels. 
And what is what is the exchange rate? Exorbitant. I'm not telling you. So bags of shekels. I mean, uh, you get. I mean, bags of denarii. You get a few shekels. Mm-hmm. They're hypocrites. They are making themselves rich on Caesar's money, and now there comes Jesus to say, you know, what is this paying taxes to, to Caesar? You know, they're they're making themselves rich on it, and and they use it in everyday life. And now suddenly, it's all of a sudden this this uh, this uh, defiled money you're not supposed to use, and then and going to trap Jesus in this. And so he makes it very plain. Look, you 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 operate in the Mediterranean. Your ships, the ships that bring all the wealth to Israel, all those ships, that is monitored by the uh, by the Roman Navy. You've got all these roads in which there are garrisons of soldiers all up and down these roads to keep them safe. They're basically the police force of the empire. You're enjoying right. all of this, and you don't want to pay taxes to Caesar, but you want to hoard their nanarii. I mean, this is right. what's going on here. Oh, yeah. No, no, that, that that's well said. I mean, like, it, it's just one of these moments. Whenever they try to trap him, it, it's, oh, man, they're going to fall twice as hard. Um, I, I want to talk more about that, but we got to take our break here. But everybody, hang okay. on. We're looking okay. at Mark chapter 12 here on Nice Strong Word, and we'll be right back. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance Worldwide KFUO on the next MOA weekend. I'm going to be sharing thoughts with you about Jesus' ascension to the right hand of the Father, right in front of his disciples. What does the ascension mean for you and me in the year 2020? As much as it did then, you bet, and it's no bet. I'll share more with you this Saturday and Sunday morning at 7.45 a.m. Central here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Mark chapter 12 here, just talking about this chapter that's full of confrontation, but we're really set up to see these two things, how the Lord Jesus is the the Messiah, the greater Son of David, the Son of David who is greater than he, uh, and also the greater temple. Both of these things uh, put together here in this chapter. Uh, we're having a conversation here with Pastor George Murdaugh, pastor at Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Douglasville, Georgia. If you've got a question for me or Pastor Murdaugh, you can give us a call, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Also, you can send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org, or uh, put a question in, a comment, a question on the my Facebook profile, facebook.com slash aj.espinosa. 
Um, so yeah, we were just talking about that, and I, I love how you were describing your brother. You know, it's just every time they think they've got him, <laughs> it's like, oh, you <laughs> think you've got me? You think you've got me? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, and it really is interesting. I think that you see the emphasis there in uh, verse five that you point, uh, fifteen rather that you pointed out to us, uh, knowing their hypocrisy. We've talked about that word. It means you know, playing to the crowd. They're doing this stuff because they're they're playing to the crowd. They're trying to win the crowd from him, right? They don't. Mm-hmm. They don't just want. It's interesting how they they say that back in chapter three. They want to destroy him, right? Mm-hmm. They don't. They mm-hmm. don't want to just kill him and make a martyr out of his cause and and make instead of there being you know one problem, they've got twelve now, right? Mm-hmm. They they they, they want to end him, and so they're they're mm-hmm. trying to win the crowd. Uh, but he but he sees it right that hypocrisy. They're all this mm-hmm. gesturing. Right. I mean, they, they try to butter him up. Right. Teacher, we know that you're true and do not care about anyone's opinion. Right. I, I mean, and certainly the Lord in his ministry um, was focusing on, hey, it's the internal, not the external. So it's like mm-hmm. it's even plausible the, the, the way that they're trying to butter mm-hmm. him up. Uh, but it, it's just the Lord sees right through it. And, and the emphasis there in the Greek, it says knowing their hypocrisy He's like, oh, you you think yeah. I'm just doing this for popularity? No, that's what you guys are about. I'm actually exactly. the one who's speaking the truth. Mm-hmm. And the uh, you know, there's a, a phrase in the beginning: the Pharisees and some of the uh, Herodians. Um, the point of the matter is that uh, if they're going to bring an accusation before the governor, uh, Pilate, on this man, it's got to be something that will stick. And certainly, right. being a, a tax avoider. Or being yep. somebody, you know, even our government, you know, God forbid, I mean, you know, too bad. But even in the United States, if you're a tax avoider, you, you're going to pay a penalty for being that uh, before right. the state. And so they're just looking for anything they can grab a hold of. And, and can you imagine, I mean, it's laughable. Pharisees and Herodians, that's a case of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. These two people hated each other, yep. these two yep. groups. And, I mean, the fact that they come together, that, that's, that's even another hypocrisy on top of all the others. (laughs) Right. Well, no, that's a really good point, because with that first trap, right, they're trying to get him in trouble with Herod, right? Like Mm -hmm. getting him in trouble about the divorce thing, which is what, you know, Mm -hmm. Herod ultimately executed John the Baptist about. And now they're like, well, if we can't get him in trouble with Herod, maybe we can get him in trouble with Caesar, right? And just, Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, this shows the desperation, right? That they're willing to, they're already, they're already thinking about, hey, Maybe we can get the Romans to help us out, right? Which, as you were saying, is, is just the height of the, the hypocrisy, right? Because it just, as you were saying, like everything going on in the temple, it's just, it's become more about the, the temple's become more about the Romans than it than it is about God anymore, which which sure, I think is like sure. what, what, what the Lord's getting at, right? Because mm-hmm. we, we sometimes shortchange, I think, this saying, and we say to ourselves, like, oh, well, you know, it's like there's some things that are for Caesar and there are some things that are for God, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Of course, <laughs> Everything is for God. Yep. 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 Exactly. So, you know, we got to take a—we really, really had to appreciate for this for what he's saying. I mean, because that's, that's a brilliance. Like, he, he still—he he hasn't, he, he hasn't come out and directly say, don't pay taxes. I mean, he doesn't say that. Mm-hmm. But, but he's saying, like, even as you do pay taxes, right, you still have mm-hmm. to be rendering— to God, because everything belongs to him, right? So, I mean, and, and that's, of that's course, something that we, I think, express really well um, in, in our Lutheran uh, doctrine, and we, and we talk about things mm-hmm. like, you know, the two kingdoms, and we see that even the kingdom of the left hand, as we call it, the mm-hmm. kingdom of God's left hand, is still God's left hand, God's left mm-hmm. hand kingdom, and that, you know, ultimately, God's still at the top, even um, of, of government. So, 
yeah. So, I mean, there, there's, there's some brilliance in that. And we got some questions that, that came in over email. Let's see if we can take a look at maybe uh, some of these here for today. But okay. um, so, so here's one. Should believers today give to government causes of social justice and need? Uh, so is this a proper rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's? Uh, whose authority must we obey in our modern context? Uh, does concord matter more than civil law? So, I mean, I, I think this question is really kind of getting at, uh, you know, the, the government says, hey, these are these are uh, things that you that we need to do with these things that we need to fund. We're going to start collecting taxes for these things. Right. But then maybe you were like, well, I don't I don't I don't know about that. Like maybe that's actually not a very good cause. So I mean, I, your, your thoughts on that. Uh, we're in a democratic. I'm not even sure. We're in a representative republic. Uh, the United right. States of America represents the republic. Uh, the laws concerning taxes. There are laws concerning taxes. They are changed in a legislative way, uh, and therefore, if we are in disagreement with uh, how our taxes are being used, uh, we don't have a tax revolt. And that's, of course, it's just onerous. It's so onerous you have to. But I mean, generally speaking, we change it. In the um, uh, in the legislature, uh, that's what we do, and then that's how we do it. Whether it's on the state level or whether it's on the uh, on the on the federal level, uh, and so no, I mean it is it is it is against you know God's order of good government for us simply to decide on ourselves. Well, I'm going to pay tax in this area, that or there. There's no there is no 100% just government on the on the planet, and there's no 100 percent just accountability and the use of taxes on the planet. Um, if we were to do that, uh, then let's go up to the mountains and join the preppers, you know. But uh, <laughs> otherwise, we're going to have to to go by the law. We, we have to understand that we have we have a, how they refer to it, kind of a, a civil contract with, with the government, and part of that civil contract is paying taxes. And there's nothing ungodly about that or opposed to God's will That's in our right. life. But we are, we are, to um, um, you know, put God's law and God's way of living first in our lives. And if something is against that, we have a legislative, uh, should have, and can have a legislative remedy, and I, or even a, a judicial one. So that's a good order we have. That's really well said. I mean, because this comes up a lot, and, and some people are saying, "Well, but hang on, they're using our our tax dollars for these these bad causes. They're using our tax dollars for abortion." And 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 it's like just like you're saying, though, guys. When has Caesar uh, not used tax money for terrible, unjust causes? That I mean, right. that has happened since the very beginning. There, like you said, mm -hmm. and you said it very well. There is no government that has been mm -hmm. using tax money for for only just causes that only God would bless and approve of. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, mm -hmm. they're always yeah. going to be using wealth and power for injustice, yeah. for cruelty, for murder, and, and the rest. And, and so, but, but the thing is, right, like we're actually charged to still pay our taxes because mm -hmm. uh, I, I think, I think the, the, the key idea here is of government, as you were saying, you, you said good order. On the mm -hmm. balance of it all, uh, despite the, the terrible things that government always does, um, on on the balance, this is preferable to the alternative of just total anarchy and chaos. And that on the or, balance, or the, yeah, or yes, right. yeah, yeah, oh yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. So on on the whole, government still um, you know, produces more justice than it does 
in, uh-huh. in justice. That, that's how God uh-huh. has ordained it. And, and so uh-huh. it's just like you said, you know, now if, if the government goes to the point, right, where it stops functioning as a government, where, it, as you said, like where it calls itself a government, but it's actually just anarchy. It calls itself uh-huh. a government, but it's, but it's actually just uh, a, a military uh-huh. invasion, right? Like you, you, everyone goes uh-huh. back to the Nazis, right? Like that that's a classic right. example where, um, you know, like you actually have like Bonhoeffer saying, this isn't actually a government anymore. They they just run no, around yeah, killing exactly. innocent people. They're not a government in any meaningful sense at this point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, once you get to that point. Opposites. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So once you get to that point, then you can start talking about not paying taxes. But um, right. until you're there, it, 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 there's not really any wiggle room. It's, uh, we're, it's We're quite clear on what God commands. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, so, uh, well, let, I mean, I guess there's maybe— um, Okay, well, so someone went ahead and asked it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy someone did. Uh, <laughs> so then, uh, along the theme of, you know, uh, to Caesar what is Caesar's and God's what is God's, um, and this whole idea of, you know, uh, God being the one at the head of even the left-hand kingdom, um, are we obeying men instead of God um, if we refrain from worshiping together um, in the orthodox ways uh, and traditions that we have known uh, during this whole like coronavirus thing, um, you know, what's the balance there um, when we're thinking about obeying God rather than men, as they say in Acts? And uh, yeah, yeah. So that, that, we went ahead and give you a really hard question there, but <laughs> uh, well, if you want to well, talk a little bit to it, if we're talking about uh, if we're talking about Trinitarian faith and the Gospel of Jesus Christ and Law and Gospel, if we're talking about those kinds of things. Uh, there are plenty. There's plenty of that witness uh, in the world during this time, and there's plenty of that witness, which I would refer to in with regard to the key doctrines of Christianity. Uh, certainly no one would take exception to their orthodoxy. They're, they're, they're orthodox Trinitarians or orthodox uh, in their Christology, their soteriology, to the most, to the most part. And so, yes, I mean, there, there, is, there is some time a necessity that if, if you are away from a Book of Concord congregation, uh, uh, but you you are compelled to worship and you are compelled to uh, be before the Lord uh, for the hearing of God's Word, uh, you may have to find yourself somewhere in some other community. Uh, to simply have said that, I'm, I'm disobeying God because this particular community may think a little differently on this point or that, uh, or they're not as catechetical as we are. Um, you know, there are circumstances in the life when you do that. I've I've been uh, doing missionary work in several places in the world uh, where you're not going to find a 100% Book of Concord kind of uh, stuff going on. But that doesn't right. mean you can't worship. And right. so uh, the bottom line is we uh, God will provide. God will provide, and we have to be humble uh, and accept the fact that, that if he does provide, uh, then we will rejoice in that circumstance, you know. Yeah. A- a- amen. Yeah, no, it's um, it- it's a difficult question, and it's you can easily spend multiple uh, one-hour episodes just talking about nothing mm-hmm. but that question. Sure. So, I mean, thank you for the sure. good question. But uh, yeah, but I think, I mean, to, to what you were saying about, you know, Pentecost, I think this is why um, part, like, all the, all, so many churches are all getting together on this, because, you know, part, part of the orthodoxy, right, and the way that we, that we acknowledge and, and worship the Trinity— I mean, is in the, the, I mean, not just part of it, it's central to our worship, um, is the celebration mm-hmm. of the sacrament, right? That idea of the confession exactly. of the body mm-hmm. of Christ, which is really, mm-hmm. I mean, a confession of both the 
humanity and divinity of Christ. And mm -hmm. so I, mm -hmm. I think this is why churches like all around the country are saying, look, I mean, you know, many in many places, um, this can be done with the approval of, of the government. And that's that's great mm -hmm. that the government's mm -hmm. doing that. In some places, it's going to happen without the approval of the government. Um, but mm -hmm. at, at a certain point, you know, we, we say to ourselves, you know, we must obey God rather than men. And if we can do this in a way that is not going to pose a risk to our neighbor, maybe we will, mm -hmm. you know, spread everyone out in the congregation. Maybe we will, mm -hmm. you know, take other mm -hmm. measures, right? I, I think this is, this is why you're seeing this, because the church, you know, maybe for a time we can, you know, uh, go without the sacrament, right? You know, we're not, we're not commanded mm -hmm. to have the sacrament, um, you know, mm -hmm. every single day, or we're not even necessarily mm -hmm. commanded every single week, even if it is good practice. But yeah, I think, mm -hmm. I think that at a certain point you say like, well, we're not going to go, you know, forever uh, without this right. that is so central to our faith. So mm -hmm. uh, that's, I think why you mm -hmm. see some churches saying, okay, we're going to, we're going to proceed cautiously, but, but boldly here. But yeah, really, really good question. Um, don't want to uh, spend the, the whole rest of the time on it, though. We need to, we need to still cover a little bit of ground. So mm -hmm. if we move on ahead to this question here about uh, the resurrection from the Sadducees, the Sadducees, right? Um, mm -hmm. th this is this is interesting because they haven't uh, they haven't played a very like major role. Right? It's mostly been like arguing with the the Pharisees. But here the Sadducees get in on this. It's like he's got confrontation now from from every corner. It's not just the Pharisees and their Hodians, but the Sadducees are in on it too. And uh, so this is interesting. Their trap is about marriage and the resurrection. So why do they go mm -hmm. here with Jesus? Well, again, uh, they're trying to, um, I mean, their, their point here is that for the Sadducees, there's the priestly caste who obviously, I call them the temple technicians. They're the temple mm. technicians. They're the ones that run the sacrificial system. And they were the ones most affected, I think, personally and financially by what Jesus did by driving out the sellers and all that stuff. Hmm. And uh, so they have a vested interest. So that's number one. Number two is they accept the Torah. So for them, it's just the Torah because that's basically their guidebook for doing what they need to do in the temple. So they're technicians uh, of the faith, if you will. And uh, so they want to trap him using a law. Uh, uh, talking about uh, a, a man who dies without children, uh, his brother raising up children to him. Now, that's a, you know, it's a, again, it's it's a uh, it's a straw man. Uh, everybody knows what a straw man is. This is another straw man because it's mm -hmm. not to the point. It's really not to the point. What they're wanting to do is to try. Of course, this is in an open forum. They're still talking out here in the open, and they want the people to hear Jesus' response to this and how he. He will get flummoxed by this, which of course he doesn't. But um, uh, so they want they want another opportunity to dismiss him. And in particular, I think I, this is my I'm just going to say this. I think to dismiss him as having any pr prophetic credentials to have done what he did in the temple. That's hmm. their that's their place, and and they want to uh, cause the people to question that he has any right to do anything like that. That's that's my. Just my my quick yeah. point on this. I, I do think you're right. You know, I mean, even the name Sadducee, you know, it comes. Uh, I, I think there's a connection to like the Zadokite uh, priesthood, mm -hmm. referring to mm -hmm. what you had under the the, the Hasmonean dynasty, right? 
um, mm-hmm. if I'm not getting my wires crossed. So, I mean, like, they are very much interested in the temple. And so here's mm-hmm. the Lord Jesus talking about the destruction of the temple, right? This this cleansing mm-hmm. of the temple, the, the cursing mm-hmm. of the fig tree. Uh, he's already hinting, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just the, the the quotations from Scripture, right? He's hinting at exactly. a destruction of the temple, and he's about to come out and just say it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, they, they're not comfortable with this destruction of the temple language. Um, nope. and, and also, I, I think going further, though, I, there's there's a particular reason, I think, that they're talking about the resurrection. Because, yeah, um, as you said, they stick with the Torah, which which means that they're, they're not, um, you know, they're, I don't think they're as keen. They don't emphasize as much the, the prophetic literature, which is where you get mm-hmm. some of the more overt references to resurrection, say, like in Ezekiel mm-hmm. 37, right? Well-known right. one. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, okay, but so why are they focusing on that? Well, and this is something that I think um, in the writings of uh, N.T. Wright that he's brought out well, resurrection was not just a spiritual idea. Um, it, was mm-hmm. a, it was a political one. It was one that had ramifications both on the world to come and the world now, because resurrection is, um, on a certain level, a revolutionary doctrine. If you believe that the powers of this world are going to kill God's people, then God's going to say, you know what? I'm going to raise them up anyway. I mean, you're, you're talking about God thwarting the plans of the princes of this world, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking about God causing a shakeup. Um, and, and, that's, and that's what you have. When you, when you talk about the resurrection, you know, you look at what you have in Ezekiel, the idea that the Babylonians have, have destroyed Israel, but God's going to resurrect mm-hmm. them. Well, that was mm-hmm. foreshadowing the destruction of the Babylonians by the Persians. Um, you talk about in, in Daniel, you know, talking about uh, the, the martyrs. Well, I guess it's more like in uh, Maccabees, uh, but like the, the mm-hmm. martyrs being raised up, right? I mean, that, that's right. that's God coming in against the, the Seleucids. So to be talking right. about resurrection, that's, that's revolution language. And it's just like you were saying, the Sadducees are cozy with the Romans. You know, they, uh-huh. they, they like that the Romans helped uh, fund this, this new temple, and they don't like uh-huh. any of this revolution talk. So, I mean, I think there there's really multiple reasons why they're uh, targeting this resurrection idea, because they know it means that God's coming to upset the apple cart. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the uh, Sadducees knew, I mean, the, priest, the priestly ca- class, caste or class, whatever you want to call them, uh, they knew that uh, they couldn't have a high priest unless they ran it by Rome. Uh, yep. Rome had to had to approve it. So th- there's so much hypocrisy going on in all of this. It's incredible. I mean, Jesus, Jesus is kind of like a walking mirror showing everybody their sin. I mean, it basically is what's going on here. And uh, and so he's doing it with the Sadducees. Well, he's a God of the living. The God of the living. Why have you forgotten this? He's not the God of the dead. And 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 why is that so so important for the Sadducees? Because they deal with death every day. They're sacrificing this and sacrificing that. And he said they that God is the God of the living, the living, and you have forgotten this, and you and you need to get back to understanding the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they're alive. And so, and you know, the whole thing about the dry bones of, uh, vision of Ezekiel, uh, right. that, uh, Israel was dead in Babylon; they were dead. But right. now God is going to raise them physically, not just a spiritual resurrection in some faraway country, but He mm-hmm. is going to physically raise them. And every coming back of Israel to the land, even the latest one that happened back in the 40s, 1940s, every one of those is another sign from God of his promise that he'll raise them back up, and to and our opportunity, of course, as evangelists, to bring that to the people of, of Israel, you know. Certainly, that you see just signs of it left and right of of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, Luther mm-hmm. pointed to just how just every spring 
right? Is is a testimony to the resurrection, just another sign from the Creator that that hey, this resurrection, th- this is this is what I am doing, um, and this is what I will do on the last day. So. Uh, yeah, certainly uh-huh. we, we just see that. And, and, and of course, when you think about it, right, at the resurrection, is that not the ultimate revolution? Because the, the Lord comes as judge, and that this is when, right, thrones before him uh-huh. fall, right? And uh-huh. the crowns are cast down. Uh, every uh-huh. knee on heaven and earth, under earth, bows before him and says, Jesus is Lord. Uh-huh. So, yeah, so there, there is this, uh, this, this revolutionary idea, which—so I think, right, when the Lord says, you know, hey— why, why are you talking this way? Don't you know that you know in the resurrection, there, there, you know, there, there's no marrying or being given in marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. this goes back to Moses. I mean, I think the point is less like he's trying to teach about marriage and say that like, therefore, marriages are all dissolved or marriage was a, was a bad mm-hmm. idea. I mean, I mean, he's mm-hmm. not saying any of that really. He's just trying to say the resurrection. It is indeed a revolution. It's going to be so revolutionary. I mean, things are going to be totally mm-hmm. different. Your question doesn't even make sense. Like, why would you worry about the technicalities when there's going to be a whole new order? Like, God's going to sort everything out um, in, in a totally perfect way. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah, no, the, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. This idea, but 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 they are like angels in heaven. Um, I, I think you know this idea of how we become angels in heaven. Uh, that is not what that teaches. There's nothing in the scripture that would uh, that would support that. That's what that verse means. Okay, we don't become angels in heaven. Right. What it means is, like the angels, we serve God perfectly in heaven. But we will serve him perfectly in heaven, according to Revelation, in the new heaven and new earth. So there's That's a very right. physical—you're right, there's a very physical nature to this resurrection. Uh, but it's not tied to the law anymore. It's tied to serving like the angels serve. Right, yeah, yeah. It certainly says, like the angels, and— and, mm-hmm. and not actually just angels, and so yeah, and so, angels, right. and so in, in what ways exactly? You know, it's hard to say exactly what the resurrection is going to look like. The only picture we have is the Lord Jesus Himself on That's Easter. It. That's it. Um, so only only a few really minutes left here. So maybe we can try to take the the rest kind of all um, together. The rest, I think, really is. Um, I mean, we already kind of talked a little bit about the Son of David thing. So let's put that to the side and try to focus on the the great commandment and the widow's offering because i think in these two moments here there is this idea that hey this whole sacrificial system and this whole the, the taxes for the temple treasury this cannot go on right mm-hmm. um he, he gives mm-hmm. the greatest commandments uh, and then the person who asks him he, he makes this statement he, he kind of echoes what he says but goes further and says that loving god and neighbor that's more then all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices, and it's like kind of like Jesus, almost like you almost. I kind of picture him almost like like Spock, mm-hmm. like on Star mm-hmm. Trek, like like raising his eyebrow and saying like, <laughs> "You are not far from the kingdom of God." Like I mean, like yeah. like you know, hey, I wasn't going to say that quite yet, you know, but uh, mm-hmm. you you you're on the right track, you know, uh, mm-hmm. which is like I think a very kind of coy way of of saying, yeah, well, I'm going to get there, buddy. Just hang on a second, um, and and then here with the widow's offering, uh, this is uh, something that made. I mean, that really popped out to me because of uh, Jeff Gibbs, Dr. Jeff Gibbs at the seminary in St. Mm-hmm. Louis, that, you know, especially in Mark here, right, when when the Lord mm-hmm. looks at the people, I think we've often taken this as like, oh, look, this what, what a great widow, isn't this wonderful, like her faith, that she gives everything she has? Well, th- that's that's certainly part of it, but don't you think that, like, part of this is, like, Jesus is saying, this is so hypocritical, 
They're letting the rich people just, you know, give a little chunk. It's nothing to them. But they're making this poor woman, like, give, like, everything she has to live on. That's what she, put, like, has mm -hmm. there at the end, right? Mm -hmm. This cannot go on. The very next thing he's going to say is the temple must be destroyed um, because this mm -hmm. is hypocritical, that we're going we're gonna to mm -hmm. drive people into poverty and starvation just so that we can have mm -hmm. our, our pretty buildings and maintain our status quo for the Sadducees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there will be an accounting. <laughs> You know, we hate we hate accounting language. Uh, I mean, biblical accounting language. Uh, but there is an accounting. Uh, Jesus warns of the accounting here in this episode. But he continues through the the writings, uh, both in the prophets as it relates uh, to the Messiah, and and also in the New Testament as uh, you know, Paul encourages his, his faith communities. Uh, he encourages the get uh, encourages uh, the giving amongst the Corinthians. Uh, he he said there's going to be. Corinth at the time was such a prosperous area, an incredibly right. prosperous area, and he he was uh, he was saying, you know, I was up there. The Macedonians, they were like the widow. They're given, you know, they're given what they had to live on practically. And all I'm asking you people to do is think about the offering, you know, that you want to get right. here down here. We have yeah. so much, and so the same thing is happening here. Uh, all of this great luxury that has been poured on by Herod, of course, and and then uh, encouraged by the Pharisees onto the temple. He says, and yet. Here in this place, you have a person uh, who is uh, giving everything she has to live on, you know. And uh, and you know what the Pharisees' response would be? Their 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 response would be, well, that's okay because sometime during the week, some Pharisee will give her a, a pay penny or something, you know. So don't worry yeah. about it. Uh, yeah. They'll always make excuses. They always make excuses. Right. And but but Jesus makes it very plain. This woman gave everything she had to live on. No. She lives on the Word of God. She didn't get that. That's right. I mean, her faith, right. her faith is there. But as far as, as whether she's going to have bread to eat, God has always provided for her and her children to have bread to eat. There's no way that woman would get, take bread out of her children's mouth. God has provided that, and so she's going to give back to God. And I think that yeah. that, you know, that is really the key here. Let's give back to God. He's never going to leave us without what we need, our daily bread. Amen, brother. Thank you so much. All out of time today. Looking forward to having you on again real soon. God bless your celebration of Pentecost. All right. God bless You've you too, my brother. To Everybody, that was Pastor George Murdoch, pastor at Prince of Peace in Douglasville, Georgia, moving on to the Psalms next week and then into Mark 13. Till then, Pastor A.J. Espinosa, peace. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.